Hello, and welcome to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and... Luke Boyd. <gasps> Reunited and it feels so good. <laughs> Buddies, is that you? <laughs> What's up, boo? Hi, baby. You ever do some self-care? Because we have. <laughs> it's uh, Spooktober. <laughs> it's Spooktober and we're back. And we're back. And I'm so happy to be in spooky times. I was actually looking through our episodes from a year ago and man, that was fun. I'm excited. The spook tide was real. And I remember <laughs> I remember when the Malayas Maleficarum came out and it was yeah. like raining cats and dogs like that week as well. And it's just like just, it's just so, it's such a wet cycle we've been in. It's been a, it's if been, a time. been under a rock or you live somewhere else, New York just just came up from under the, the water. You know, we just just were reemerged. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's been a time. Yeah. It's been a monsoon season here. It has. Uh, but but we are here with you again. And I have the distinct privilege of bringing to the table one of my favorite things to talk about. I wouldn't say talk about to talk at <laughs> because I become a complete and utter maniac person whenever I start talking about Sweeney Todd. You've been warned, people. I'm sorry. In advance. <laughs> this is bad. I feel bad for Luke. I feel bad for all of you. But it's happening. We're doing it. You so, can always uh, opt out. So, viewers, <laughs> if you're still listening, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Sweeney Todd is a name that most people should have heard at some point or another in their lives at this point. What Sweeney Todd really is, is it's a legend that has been fascinating people for a couple hundred years, at least at this mm -hmm. point. It has inspired short stories, plays, a musical, a ballet, mm -hmm. music, numerous films, television shows. I mean, it is such a piece of pop culture <laughs> that is so uh, pervasive. Sweeney cannot be stopped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that pie just will stay in the fridge forever. <laughs> Keeps surprisingly well. It's pretty fresh. It's pretty good. <laughs> pretty perennial. And I think the reason is there is something particularly terrifying about when you put your life in the hands when, of someone, when you put your personal safety, your trust into just an everyday person, mm. only to find out that this very ordinary guy yep. is actually a psychopath, I mean, that's like everyone's greatest fear. <laughs> Yes. And when you are living in a city where you're relying on the bus driver to get you from point A to point B, makes you appreciate the the how the normalcy that per, that is winning in our culture most of the time. For real, because at the end of the day, Sweeney Todd is a serial killer. That's mm -hmm. what he is. And serial killers fill us with so much fear mm -hmm. because we're talking about a person who is not having a moment of passion or it's happenstance or defense or anything, revenge, nothing like that. This is someone who has a compulsion to kill. Right. And therefore you cannot reason with them. And, and we are just fascinated 
by serial killers. And I think there are numerous reasons why that is, right? I, I think luckily most of us can't relate to that compulsion, <laughs> no. right? We're fascinated by it. Completely. And that's why we are so overly invested in true crime documentaries. We listen to podcasts and all this other terrible content that I know (laughs) 20, 30 years from now, our generation, we are not going to be doing well. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I once volunteered at a dementia uh, uh, ward that was part of a facility in my hometown when I was a good Catholic boy and they would play the sound of music every single day because (laughs) it was as if the the first time they had seen it since the eighties. And it was the most weird, like cuckoo's nest kind of feeling where it was, there was yeah. a lot of for a, for a young person. It was a lot to see all at once, you know, and but it was also a beauty to it in that you saw the staff who have to live and work alongside these people. They love these people, and they just kind of went along with. Yeah, Marjorie will say the same thing about this. Mm. You know, she'll say she'll ask where her husband is. You know, and that kind of thing. For our generation, they're just going to play unsolved mysteries <laughs> <laughs> from the nineteen eighties. <1980s. laughs> I. <laughs> Did they ever catch that guy? <laughs> It's the Golden State Killer. Oh, that, I remember that. That Robert Stack, he's so handsome. <laughs> uh, that voice. <laughs> so, yeah. Not, we're not doing the best self-care, per se. But um, we not only are trying to figure out, you, you know, what what is wrong in someone's brain that makes them this way. But the other side of it is also, would I ever be able to recognize a serial killer out in the wild Mm -hmm. would i be able to save myself if i found myself in the situation you know we we go through all these different scenarios in our minds right of being on either side of the coin and i i like to think most of us can't really see ourselves on the serial killer side of the coin but listen right i don't know all our listeners you never fucking know you never know whoever you are and you know right we feel we feel sort of protected by the randomness it's so random it can never happen to you and yet it could. Yeah. Did you? Okay. So quick sidebar. Did you see oh, yeah. the, the killing of Jill Dando on Netflix? No. <sighs> I didn't know the story. True crime reporter in the UK who was murdered. And they still haven't solved the murder. Oh, that's terrifying. And it was like, they had, she had this one quote where it was, she was like being spoken to in a talk show. And, she, and it's like, how does it feel? Like reporting on this kind of dark content, like all this stuff. And it's like, oh, but it's never going to happen to you. You don't feel that per se. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so bad and like again the accents who the fuck killed joe dando <laughs> i'm here for she, it. i will watch she was our sweetheart i will watch anything with Three a hours, British goodbye accent i don't care i'm in <laughs> is it her name too joe dando she was like our lady die she was like you know, we loved her we loved her after die died you know <laughs> By the way, this is only the beginning of the British accents because this is this whole story is very British. So anyway, (laughs) getting back to Sweeney. Sweeney Todd plays on all of our deepest fears around serial killers and our deepest curiosities Mm. with this extra layer of another one of our greatest fears, which is cannibalism <laughs> musicals i thought you were going to say <laughs> not yet we're not there yet <laughs> yes cannibalism tell us more oh man i mean it is the most taboo mm-hmm. it's it's the the most vile thing that one can do right it is it is <laughs> the most inhuman thing you can do you can kill someone it's an act of control there's a motive but eating someone 
That's power. That's power. That's just a- yeah. And listen, and that's and that of course does not include situations where it's it's some ancient cultural ritual thing that is hard for us to process. It certainly doesn't count in the case of something terrible like the Donner Party. But you look at the more truly twisted individuals, of course, someone like a Jeffrey Dahmer comes to mind where he ate victims because he wanted them to be a part of him. He like really sick, weird stuff. Or Albert Fish, who was just a fucking sadist and did it kind of just to be like, Ooh, I did that. You know, like <laughs> he really was a gross son of a bitch. He too. was the worst. Disgusting. No, but the the, the the Jeffrey thing is like it's it's giving me like that Catholic thing where it's like yeah. we consume the body and like it's that literal kind of communion with someone. Yeah. Freaky. Freaky. Yeah, his was very uh sexual. Oh, which yeah. is which is that's a very different version of cannibalism. <laughs> so, you know, where we come in with Sweeney is it's it's a problem solver in Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. There's a social calculus there. I see Absolutely. what you're saying. Absolutely. Who, who the victims are. Like, oh no, I uh, I have to deal with the waste that I've created because of this murder. And oh look, my accomplice, my friend here, her business isn't doing so hot. Right. She's not great at making pies. Let's see if we can maybe help her so he's there are now motives that are financial as well as practical yes there is a economic ecosystem at play absolutely so that's not the most common cannibal story (laughs) (laughs) no uh, cannibalism for profit that's a that's a a a new one (laughs) that's a twist (laughs) so sweeney you know just to sum all of that up that we were just talking about it uh sweeney is a perfect horror story it really is. It covers a lot of bases and unlocks many of our deepest fears and fears that we didn't even know that we fucking had. <laughs> Mad Gothic. Mad Gothic. But the question is, is it true? The question mm. we all want to know. Mm. I'm not going to tell you yet, but <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> so let's let's establish first what the legend of Sweeney Todd is, because mm-hmm. I just listed all the different ways it's been sort of rehashed and redone throughout history. So the story itself varies wildly, but there are some consistencies, things that have stayed the same. So to begin with, uh, in most written versions, it takes place in the late 18th to mid-late 19th century in London on the corner of Fleet Street. That, of course, is a time period that Luke and I are very uncomfortable with. (laughs) We have no idea what's going on. (laughs) I mean, before 1800, a little offensive, but we got into the comfort zone. I kept us in the Industrial Revolution. Thank you. Good Lord. Cobblestones, please. That's all. Done. I'm here. I'm here for it. Uh, So, yes, it is during that time period in London on the corner of Fleet Street, which still remains today. Sure. Uh, The character of Sweeney Todd is a barber who seemingly enjoys the thrill of killing his patrons. He is not murdering indiscriminately. He's smart. Even in like pretty much every version, he's very clever Mm -hmm. and he's careful to mainly kill only merchants or people 
coming into London temporarily so that their disappearance will go on notice. Mm, or killing people that no one will give a shit about, which again, that's such a serial killer thing to do. Yeah, getting broken hair vibes already. Totes. Yes. A hundo P. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, another thing about Sweeney Todd that makes him unique but exists in all these stories is his barber chair. Mm. His barber chair is mechanized in some way or another to ultimately drop people through a trap door that leads into a basement. And this is where one of the minor variations exists. Either it's he drops them and they break their necks and then he would go into the basement and he had a catchphrase in some of the early plays and stories where we're like now i'll polish them off and then he'd slit their throats wow <laughs> which i always imagined in my mind the actor the melodramatic over-the-top actor on the 19th century stage saying then i'll polish him off and the audience being like <laughs> <laughs> slice <laughs> oh, I love this part. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's that's older versions. Obviously, we're more accustomed accustomed to the more recent versions. Certainly, as far as the musical Sweeney Todd is concerned, that right. he would slit their throats, and then the chair is a way just to basically get them Dump downstairs. Them. Dump yeah, them. exactly. Dump them. So. <laughs> uh, the remains of the victims are always used as meat to be put into pies sold by a pie shop owner, one Mrs. Lovett. Mm. Mrs. Lovett's name actually has changed here and there. Sometimes she's Marjorie. In the better known musical, she is Nellie Lovett. Um, but the point is, she is a staple in this story. Her role varies wildly from on one side of it she's kind of an unwilling accomplice who really is just looking for the financial boost to mm. the mrs lovett we know best who is a horny bitch who is in <laughs> love with sweeney right completely into it can't be as hell yeah loving it loving him right so she's the mary surratt of this story like yes. she, you can cast her as an evil witch or you can cast her as a dummy who just had a, a boarding house where completely yeah because i think anybody who knows the the musical of sweeney todd really well or you've seen perhaps the johnny depp movie um, one could argue she really is actually the worst person of the two of them. Kind she's of egging him on. Yeah, she's far more conniving. She's the one who gets the idea to dispose of the bodies through the pies. That's not the original story. It's actually, it's all him. He cuts up all the meat. He does everything mm. in, in the earlier versions of the story. So it's- She a, gets a much juicier role in the later iterations though. Oh yeah. yeah. Come on, feminism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it so another really important common theme in this uh is they don't uh see the end of the play they die in the story uh there's a variety of ways in which that happened sweeney pretty much always kills mrs lovett <laughs> that seems to be consistent wow whether it's to get rid of just the accomplice the evidence whatever mm -hmm. or in the case of the musical it's a vengeance thing um but yeah they generally don't make it to the end i think there's a few rare exceptions where he escapes or something and is eventually caught but uh and then finally 
in most of the versions, a common backdrop is the Industrial Revolution. And it's such a powerful, even if in these like silly melodramatic plays, just even that being in the background, you have to consider the symbolism here of mm -hmm. it is man eating man, right? It is the, you are in a heartless, cruel society. We are no longer humanists. We are machines. The meat grinder. We are literally in the meat grinder. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just so... Capitalist takedown. I love it. Woo! We have just hit the absolute bottom of society at this point where no one is a person anymore. So you might as well turn them into a fucking pie. <laughs> right. A piece of meat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So now let's get back to the big question. Was he real? Is this based on a real person? And the answer is, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. It's complicated. It would seem that despite the fact that there are some journalists and historians who believe fervently that this was a real person, um, there is no incontrovertible evidence to suggest that he's ever been anything other than a scary story sort of cobbled together by actual crimes that have happened. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's complicated. Uh, the beginnings are very murky, to say the least. There are some anecdotes of, like, 12th century stories of a murderous priest turning people into pies. Oh. You know. Uh, so far-fetched, that is. Yeah, and it's that, apparently, the, that reference is by Shakespeare, Okay. So like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you see this theme, this, this idea over and over again in, in literature. Right. It's a perennial right? trope of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, it is the most loathsome thing one could think of really mm -hmm. is, is taking, not just killing your fellow man, which is disgusting, but treating their body with such disrespect and then also treating your fellow man with such disrespect that you would have them unknowingly eat another person. Is fucking foul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really foul. So the oldest version of this legend that I came across, um, it's written in the diary of a man named Per Lindstrom, a Swedish man, <laughs> around 1650-ish. Um, apparently, crazy. he hears this crazy story about a barber while his ship is docked in a uh, Calais, France. Mm. And even when you read it, and obviously I've only read an English translation. I've never read Swedish anything. No. In my life. I can't I. pronounce anything in IKEA. Let it be known. <laughs> it's very difficult to tell if he's regaling a story that he's been told or like a news story that he's been told. You sure. know what I mean? Sure. Basically, and, and it's also, like, in his journal or whatever. Like, clearly he thought the story was cool enough or interesting enough that it was worth fucking mentioning in his little book there. But, like, still, it's... Right. It's Is sus. it an oral tradition? Is it a tavern story? Yeah. So I'll, I'll read, like, a little bit from it. It says, uh, 
At that time, many delicious, palatable, and rare pies were baked, which were widely cried for. I will relate a story which happened then in Calais concerning an affair between a barber and a pie baker, which took place thus. And so he kind of goes through hmm. the plot of Sweeney Todd, essentially. Uh, and it gets down to the end where he said, However, the barber did away with him after his usual aforesaid manner and custom with others. Now, finally, the other one returned and asked the barber after his companion. He answered that he went away immediately after he had been shaved. But this companion of his did not believe it, rather considered his companion's word to be more credible, upon which he relied, but did not yet know what he should do. Nor would he risk to accuse his, this barber right away, although he might have his suspicion, but went away at first everywhere." And apparently at some point it does talk about uh, him there being like a manhunt or an apprehension. Mm. So it really, I, that's not enough for me to know <laughs> whether or not that's a real story. No, definitely <laughs> and, not. Yeah. And it would seem for historians, most historians, they feel the same way. Pretty shaky. Yeah. But then we fast forward to uh, another story. In December 1784, the annual register, which is basically a, it's a reference work that's been along for, I mean, since the 1700s, where basically it's a record and analysis of the major events of the year in England. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, developments, trends, it's like a little, uh, you know, almanac Slice of the year, if you will. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so it reports on a barber near fleet street who in a jealous rage cut his victim's throat from ear to ear before disappearing into the night and i can read that little excerpt for you too december 1784 a most remarkable murder was perpetrated in the following manner by a journeyman barber that lives near hyde park corner who had been for a long time past jealous of his wife but could no way bring it home to her a young gentleman by chance coming into his master's shop to be shaved and dressed and being in liquor mentioned his having seen a fine girl home in Hamilton Street from whom he had certain favors the night before. Oh. At, mm -hmm. At the same time, describing her person, the barber concluding it to be his wife in the height of his frenzy cut the gentleman's throat from ear to ear and absconded. The scorned lover. Yeah. So, so that's another like piece of this story that doesn't get used until way later in like the current right. version of Sweeney Todd, which is this, his wife playing such a major part in it and therefore it being like a jealous revenge fantasy kind right. of thing. And there's no meat, meat, meat pies in this. No meat mentioned in no. that story. Right. But then we go to France for a hot second. This is, we're just dipping out yeah. <laughs> to a different country real quick. Uh, a man named, I want to say it's uh, Joseph uh, Fouche, because I don't see the accent. So I don't right. think it's Fouché. But anyway, he served as the minister of police in Paris from 1799 to 1815. And he documented in his archives of the police a long, varied series of murders by a Parisian barber in the 1800. Mm. And he says that the barber was in league with a pastry cook <laughs> who made pies of the victims and sold them for human consumption. So 
the thing there is that's like the best piece of evidence that any historian or journalist has found to be like, see, but there's even doubts around the authenticity of that account. Mm -hmm. There Mm -hmm. seems to be zero evidence of that happening (laughs) aside from Mm -hmm. that police officer's writing. There's no, no records. There's no arrest records or anything like that. Um, This is spotty time for the French Republic. It's a tough time <laughs> between the revolution and Napoleon and like this. I mean, I, I, those archives are spotty at best. I mean, everything was set on fire. I mean, <laughs> but to your point, we also have a, a pretty good record of what went down. Like, yes. You know, yes. And that's a very sensational story. So, yes. And it was actually first published as a terrific story of the Rue de la Harpe Paris in the Telltale, which was a London magazine. Mm, so pulpy, story, pulpy, pulpy. Super pulpy. And now it is in the Londoners subconscious. Milieu. Yes. So that could very well be how it kind of really gains its footing in yeah. what would ultimately be Victorian England. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of liars, <laughs> I think. <laughs> In these kinds of sensational stories, because the more sensational it is, the more it sells, whether it be a newspaper or me talking about my police career, whatever, mm-hmm. right? As long as I caught the guy, <laughs> it makes me sound funny. It's like, cool. you know, your favorite movie of all time, The Irishman, is based on the ramblings of a, <laughs> of a, how dare I bring this up in your episode? But like, it's based on the ramblings of a dying hitman saying, yeah, I killed Jimmy Hoffa. I killed this guy. I killed oh, that right. guy. Compelling read. I mean, great story. You know, made a great, made a, well, made a movie. Made a movie. <laughs> I killed JFK. I killed right. Abraham Lincoln. Right. You're the Forrest Gump of murder. Okay, cool. Like, got it. <laughs> cool. You killed everybody in the 60s. Great. Good for you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Why am I watching a three-hour movie about you, asshole? Martin Luther the, King. Yeah. Let's just, right. Sure. Why not? Malcolm X, right. Whoever you want. Um, <laughs> so. And it's interesting, too, that we see the story in the 1500s, because that was when the barbers were still kind of surgeons, kind of. Yeah. So that is the that is the thing. And we did talk about this as I was, again, thinking, thinking to past episodes. Um, we did define the role of the barber surgeon pretty well we in our um, operating theater episode. And so, just as a reminder, the barber surgeon, (laughs) they are not just shaving your face. They are doing operations. They have a variety of tools under their belt. They could lance a boil while while they got you on the chair. Fuck yeah. Cut your hair. (laughs) Lance a boil. (laughs) Cut off your fingers. Whatever you need. Whatever your needs may be. They are like a unionized group of people. (laughs) They are like, what's up? And as we talked about also in that episode, like, they're not the medical scholars. These these guys are the ones doing it, doing the damn thing. <laughs> no, they're more like esthetician butchers. Like, you know. <laughs> they really are. But that relationship of they already are kind of used to treating people like meat. Surgeons kind of have to. Yeah. Otherwise, how do you function in that job? Separating the person from the flesh. Yes. Yeah. You kind of have to, right? So, yeah, that's a great Thank you for bringing that up, Luke. That's a really important point. So, yeah, this history is fucking weird and shoddy. So what one thing that we know for certain is 
we do not hear the name Sweeney Todd for the first time until it is published in a Penny Dreadful. Yay. We have not talked about Penny Dreadfuls yet. No. I don't think I maybe no. mentioned Touched them it, maybe. maybe in the Grand Guignol, but mm-hmm. probably not very much. So some of you may be familiar with Penny Dreadful because there was a television series on for a few years with that title, yes. which didn't actually have a lot to do with Penny Dreadfuls as far as I could tell. It's like some of the characters, I think. That ex- Penny yeah, it was more like Penny her. Mystical. It was very mystical, yeah, which like, I loved, and I love Timothy Dalton. Whew. Oh, I'm here. I'm here for Timothy Dalton all day. Wow, <laughs> I know he's still fine. Like at 75, like ridiculous. Yeah, he can get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, have you ever actually sat down and read a Penny Dreadful? I've only ever read um, excerpts. No, I have not. I should, right? I, they sell like volumes and volumes of them. Yeah, I could crack a Kindle and like, you know, blaze through them. I feel like they're short, right? Yeah, they're, I mean, listen, Penny Dreadfuls, ultimately, you guys, as Luke and I are just having a conversation and not including you in it. <laughs> Basically, they are scary stories that you could literally buy for a penny at the newsstand. And they they came out in... Uh, as a series. So you would get like eight p- eight pages, say, a week, which is a very popular way of disseminating stories at the time. Luke, you actually brought this up in the Grant episode. Right, with the subscription service. Yeah, so similar thing. And the reason right. why Penny Dreadfuls were so popular is because most of the time, including if you wanted to buy a series by Mr. Charles Dickens, because he also did the same thing. Mm-hmm. His books came out in pages and chapters. It was going to cost you up to eight times as much as a penny dreadful, which was literally a penny. Right. You're skipping the book. You're skipping the binding and (laughs) all the finery. Yeah, It's economical. And so, as we know, if you want to appeal to the masses, make it inexpensive and make it tawdry AF. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in for the next penny dreadful. And there comes the penny dreadful. And there gross they were inspired by real crimes again this is just like the grand guignol um they and and releasing them in a series particularly with a scary story so smart the suspense like we don't kids here's me being getting on my grandma soapbox you all don't know what it's like to wait for an episode (laughs) you do not you bingy bitches you have no idea Right. When you're sitting there impatiently going, I know what happened in the last episode previously on. Yeah, there was a time where you didn't and you were in the bathroom too long during the commercial break and you missed critical scenery. Mm-mm, or man. you had a basketball game that week and you missed the episode and you haven't devoted. You just skipped it. There's so there's so few shows that we watch as they come out. Like HBO is still doing it. I love it. God bless you, HBO. Honestly, I respect it. Max, I'm, whatever. I'm doing. I got some Hulu shows that I do that with. That yeah. I, only murders I'm watching right now, and I am I, I am waited with, waiting with bated breath. Every love it. Love I can't, it. It's an excellent. It's a, especially something suspenseful. Yes, it's great. It's yeah. perfect. The serotonin hit. Nothing like it. Oh yeah, absolutely. So th- so Penny Dreadfuls are giving you that mm-hmm. all the way pre TV pre TV, and actually at the um the real dawn of much more literacy in London. Mm. A lot of people still didn't know how to read. And so 
having these very unsophisticated, easy to understand books are actually a great way to get people to start to read. <laughs> so, hey, everyone. <laughs> great cause. <laughs> the underappreciated Penny Dreadful. As we're becoming less literate by the year. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> so Let's stay in the past. These are gory. They are lurid. They are terrifying and crazy popular. And so Sweeney Todd appears in a penny dreadful called The String of Pearls, a romance. It was published in 18 weekly parts in Edward Lloyd's The People's Periodical and Family Library, hmm. uh, which is so funny because I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> The adult section. The adult section. And that would have been in uh, 1846 through 1847. Okay. So, yeah. I like this time period. Very good. I'm here for it. Oh, yeah. We're always here for it. Yeah. Uh, So, it is created by uh, two men who made a lot of Penny Dreadfuls. uh, James Malcolm Reimer and Thomas Peckett Prest. Uh, And what's interesting about Sweeney in these stories in this particular string of pearl story, uh, he's not the main character. Okay. Yeah, he is a secondary character, but he's su- he's such a standout in the story right. that it he just takes the story. He's a favorite, away. yeah. Oh yeah. So I'll tell you the the plot really quick of of the string of pearls. So basically, and the story itself was actually printed on Fleet Street, which makes it even cuter. Wow. Uh, so the plot apparently it sounds like it's a big old fucking mess <laughs> and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Have you ever read any like real melodramas of that time period, whether literature or plays? They're really not, you can't say they're well written. The plots are are interesting. Yeah. But like they're not great. The language is not stellar. The prose is not, yeah. it's not literature. Yeah. So it's just it, getting you there. It sounds like this is similar, and there's too many different subplots and shit going on that just don't actually matter. So with this one, Mm -hmm. there's a string of pearls which disappear along with its bearer around Fleet Street. So a woman whose name is Miss Joanna Oakley, who is the woman who is supposed to receive the pearls, which the name Joanna ends up being carried on. Yes. Turning into some of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. Uh, So She's supposed to have gotten the pearls, and she's like, what the fuck? What happened to my pearls? Something seems amiss, and she calls the cops, and through different scary clues and discoveries and all this stuff, the police do realize there is a murderous barber by the name of Sweeney Todd who has been killing his customers for their money, jewels, whatever they may have on their person at the time, and that he has been disposing of their remains through these underground tunnel systems to Mrs. Lovett's bakery nearby, and she has been putting these people into her meat pies. Mm. Uh, So he is caught in the act by the cops at the end of this, and she dies, Mrs. Lovett dies, uh, via poison that had been left to her by Todd. It sounds like she su- she suicided rather than he murdered her in that case. Yeah. He took her way out. She unalived herself via Sweeney Todd. Yes. Uh, Joanna receives the pearls. Her fiance had actually been trapped in the basement being forced to cook the pies. 
So he mm. lived, which is a wonderful surprise. <laughs> yes, we love a caged, um, caged man who, who gets out. Yes, so he's free. He's free. Um, but yeah, so that's a story, a very different story than the one we are used to. Yeah. But if you're ever curious to see a version of this, I highly recommend, if you can find it, I don't know if you can, and I want to say 1997 or 98, I think it came on Showtime. Mm-hmm. There was a Tale of Sweeney Todd movie starring Ben Kingsley. And he was fan-fucking-tastic. Wow. It takes place more in the late 1800s. Because if I'm remembering correctly, he's wearing a wig in it. Oh, wow. You know, like a powdered wig. He's that oh, kind wow. of um, and then or King oh, George no. era. Mm-hmm. What's this actress's name? She's so good. She's uh she was Patsy in uh Oh Patsy. Joanna Lumley. She was Mrs. Lovett. Oh god, this sounds perfect. If you can find perfect. it, you will fucking love it. It's this, <laughs> it's more this version of the story. Pure non-musical, yeah. Yes, it's and it follows he is a fucking monster. It's all about the mm-hmm. greed and the money, and it is also he. If I'm remembering correctly, he, while serving in Africa, got interested in cannibalism. So he actually likes to eat the pies himself. Oh, and a wee bit of racism, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So very- With my time among the primitives in the Congo. That vibe. (laughs) So yeah, but it is excellent. It's really scary. It's gory. It's- Wow. I'm- Excited for that. I'm so happy to share it with the world because it came out when I was like a kid and it was right when I really got into the musical Sweeney Todd. So backstory on that. I, uh, my mom had had it taped it off of PBS, the the Stephen Sondheim's Sweeney Todd. Amazing. And I would not watch it. I was so scared until finally I was like, I want to say like 12 or 13 and it was like around Halloween. And my sister was like, just watch it. You'll like it. It's really good. And I was like, oh, okay. And I watched it and I was like, oh. And I had like an awakening. <laughs> I, like, I love this. I'm going to spend the rest of my life being a maniac about this. Aww. And so this ca- this movie came out around the same time. So it was just like perfect. That mm-hmm. I, and so then I became obsessed with this movie. So I hope you, uh, I hope you all can find it. It's Excellent. I actually wait. No, I think I saw it on um, on um, YouTube. I think you watch it on YouTube. It's got to be on YouTube. I'm so like curious. a grainy version. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so enjoy that. But anyway, back to the string of pearls. So so popular that they then take the series and expand it into a like 800 page book. So Sweeney Sweeney gets known. <laughs> 800 pages. I know that's too many pages, really. But you know, when you don't have anything else to do, I guess you might as well read. <laughs> yeah. So as often as is the case with popular stories at the time, people realize, wow, there is money to be made off this weird story. Let's turn it into a play. And that's where George Dibdin Pitt comes in. His name is so hard to say. That's such a fun one, huh? Dibdin. <laughs> George. George Dibdin Pitt. <laughs> In 1847, Pitt produces The String of Pearls, or The Fiend of Fleet Street, at Britannia Theatre, which makes that the first time Sweeney Todd is actually seen on stage, and the first time people can actually see that barber chair being used, which... Mm, The icon. This must have been so shocking. 
And the Britannia Theatre is a Grand Guignol type of deal. So mm-hmm. it was it was ready for the full climax. effects. Yeah, oh, trapdoors yeah. and blood. Yeah, no, 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 no. This cool. was their kind of shit for yeah. sure. And he advertises the story as similar. We talked about with the Grand Guignol, lots of bullshit being told, lots of stories, nonsense stories being told about the show and how you would act and react. He said this was this story was completely true. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Like Fargo. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So people are just shocked and enthralled by this story because you guys, we've always been true crime maniacs. (laughs) That's the truth. We have. Let's not. Whether we're seeing it in the Coliseum in real time or brutality or we're rehashing it. Yeah. More buddies through history. That's it. Ancient more buddies. Ancient more buddies. So as also is often the case, once something becomes successful, everybody tries to copy it. So mm-hmm. many more plays come out from this point on who have varying levels of success and quality of writing, of course, diminishes dramatically. I came across, <laughs> apparently there's a version where the hero is actually a dog. Oh. So apparently... The dog has been like wandering around the barber's doorsteps, Sweeney's doorstep, because I guess that was the last time he saw his owner. And eventually that leads the police to the front door. So it's the dog essentially solves the crime. That's fantastic. What is it, boy? <laughs> Fucking Lassie. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, those crappier versions of this play go on through the 19th century and then sweeney just continues to take off you have silent movie versions there's one that's like right at the turn of the century it's lost forever unfortunately it's one of those Mm. um but yeah it was like a 15 minute little sweeney todd uh the best known early film would be the demon barber of fleet street which stars Todd Slaughter, a well-known melodramatic actor of the time who played Sweeney Todd in that film and then on the stage for like a lot of his career. Really great it was, name. It's a great movie. Again, it's that way more string of pearls kind of plot, mm. but really fun. And then you have, like I said, there's music, there's other, there's a ballet. The Royal Ballet Company produces a ballet version, which is so wild. That's awesome. I got to find that somewhere. That I must only be learned- really cool. I only learned that very recently. I don't can't imagine what that choreo looks like. Yeah, I'm thinking like some synchronized like pies being served Flip. like in a line. Yeah, <laughs> right. A bunch of a bunch of yeah, a bunch of razor blades in motion. Yeah, yeah. broad arms stroking razor blades. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in all of these versions of Sweeney Todd, what has been really lacking is his motive being much more he's he's nothing more than a greedy sociopath who is incredibly unrelatable he's just this spooky character and that's where christopher bond comes in christopher bond is a playwright who sees the story of sweeney todd and thinks what's the reason though right <laughs> like, what's the why happened to you yeah <laughs> just so much more interesting yeah, so it's like, so what if this wasn't that he was just this this unquenchable bloodlust that this man had, that this monstrous, greedy piece of shit <laughs> just doing it for profit, but in fact, he only became a monster because society turned him into one. 
And this is how Sweeney goes from being an unscrupulous serial killer to someone seeking revenge for his family and the wrongs that have been done to him. Right. The anti-hero. And that's it. Sweeney then becomes this far more interesting and complicated character because for the first time you can look at Sweeney and go, oh, I kind of feel for you. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas all the versions of Sweeney I just described, not sympathetic. <laughs> no, he's evil. Pure evil. Pure evil. Yes. Which is fun in its sure. own way. But now Sweeney Todd is becoming meaningful and it can touch your heart, which it could never do before Christopher Bond came along. And so he is the victim of an unfair power structure, the worst kind of corruption. And again, industrialism. Yeah. He is being crushed under the boot in the worst way possible. And so Bond writes this in 1973, and a gentleman by the name of one Mr. Stephen Sondheim sees this play and goes, ooh, I have an idea. (laughs) I'm going to make it sing. (laughs) And And we're so glad he did. Oh, we're so glad he did. And he, of course, teams up with the incredible Hal Prince, and they make this very concept-heavy musical that is doing an imitation of melodramatic plays that Sweeney Todd is based in of the Grand Guignol Mm -hmm. style that this show ultimately would have early on existed in and now going deeper with some of the themes of the Industrial Revolution, of the corruption of the government, of, you know, what happens when a good man is pushed too far. Right. And now Sweeney is seeking revenge on behalf of his wife, who has been sexually assaulted by a very corrupt judge, who then sends Sweeney away to Australia mm-hmm. on a trumped up charge, as they say. And Sweeney somehow, although this is always left out, I have no idea how the fuck he got out of there and got on a boat and got his way back to London, fueled purely by rage, I guess. <laughs> Let rage be my awe. Exactly. And of course, it's young Antony that sees him pitching and tossing about on that raft. And he picks him up and he brings him to London and hilarity ensues. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And murder, murder, murder. And everyone dies. (laughs) And of course, we do see some of these same characters do survive through the through to this point in the musical. Of course, Sweeney and Mrs. Lovett are still there. You see Joanna has now transformed into his daughter character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in that original story, she actually does dress up as a man at one point to like go exploring the barbershop. And so that is then imitated again in the musical version where there is at one point where she's dressed up in sailor clothes and he, he almost kills Joanna because she thinks that she's a man. Mm -hmm. Uh, So and to Tobias, who is the unfortunate young man, his name being Tobias Rag, which is the best, <laughs> best melodrama name ever. Um, that has been his name for hundreds of years, which is awesome. <laughs> He's their little henchman. So that character still exists. That's great. And yeah, and it's just, it's great that it's like this wonderful lineage of this myth, this urban legend possibly with some truth in it. 
and this becomes, you know, it's it's initially as a musical, a complicated reception. People were not <laughs> prepared. <laughs> I think my, I have older family members who saw it and they were appalled. Mm. By it. Really appalled because it is gruesome, honestly. Yeah. Um, have you... Uh, Luke, did we talk about this? Have you seen it on stage? I have not seen it on stage. I've seen the movie. I know the music, but I've never seen it. It is really, really gripping on stage. It really is. And when the first time he slits a throat, you really are just like, I'm very close to this. <laughs> like, this is like a lot, unless you're like in the nosebleeds. But I've seen it in like theater in the round. I've right. seen it. There was a version a few years back where it was on like, they did it in like a cafeteria and it was like meant to be like a bake shop. They were literally on my table killing people. It was like a lot. Wow. <laughs> so the closer you get to it, the harder it is. But even this recent production, the one with Josh Groban it is very gory. Mm -hmm. It's really bloody. It yeah. is. So going, yeah, going back in time, seeing <laughs> the beloved Angela Lansbury become this <laughs> fucking wretched woman. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get to see enough of her dark side. No, no. That Too angel. much bed knobs and birds. That angel, yeah. Eglantine, Eglantine. <laughs> That's our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've got uh, Angel Lansbury. Who's the original Sweeney again? A stage actor by the name of Len Carrium. Mm. He was very well known at the time. Um, he's kind of faded into a little bit more obscurity for only mm -hmm. us theater nerds but he he was excellent there is a dvd version of the original production that you can find anywhere but i believe it was when it started touring maybe and mm -hmm. george hearn george hearn i knew and i know i love yeah. him yes he took len carrie's place at some point yes and he is my sweeney like he's, he's who i think of for sweeney talk because that's how i first saw it and he then also was in a concert version back in 2001 with Patti Lapone, I think at mm -hmm. Lincoln Center, that was also fucking dynamite. Mm -hmm. Audrey McDonald was the beggar woman. It was mm -hmm. like a baller cast. So, yeah, I've seen it once or twice. <laughs> yes. Can wax eloquently on all of the versions, iterations. I love this. Bad. <laughs> That's cool. We all need hobbies. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, you know... While we'll never really know whether or not Sweeney existed, the really scary thing is that he uh, he could have, you know? This story has really permeated pop culture, like we said at the top. And one would like to think that perhaps Sweeney hasn't inspired some killers, but there are some killers who match him in modern time far too well. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of pretty solid examples. There's a particularly famous murderer, serial killer, that has Sweeney-like tendencies uh, by the name of Robert Picton, mm. who, if you're not familiar with him, he is also known as the pig farmer killer or the butcher. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2002, Robert Picton, who owned and operated a pig farm in Port, I think it's Coquitlam, British Columbia in Canada. He was charged with murdering 26 women. Uh, although post-conviction, he has alleged that he actually murdered 49. Oh, that SOB. Yeah. He targeted sex workers and other uh, vulnerable women. 
uh, on Vancouver's downtown east side. Many of his victims were, of course, indigenous women, because that is a disturbing part of Canada's history. Mm -hmm. Many of which who were dealing with addictions, mental health issues. They proved to be very easy targets because he could just lure them in with drugs, promises of drugs and money. Um, After he would sexually assault them and murder them, he let his pigs eat their remains. And then he would slaughter the pigs and sell the meat. Which very meta. we, We now understand more likely than not was absolutely cross-contaminated with human remains. Yeah. So. Oh, that's yeah. so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> it's deeply fucking disturbing. His 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 whole story is scary. He's if you Google a picture of him real quick, just look at. I just recognize at the him. name. I feel like I've seen. Yes. Look at him. He looks like a pig farmer. <laughs> he looks like a serial rapist murderer. Oh God! Yeah, I you feel- sounded like you were just doing Sue. <laughs> <laughs> he would be played by Clint Howard in 100%. the movie version. <laughs> Piece of shit! Disgusting. No, he looks. He looks like he smells. He's filthy. He, yeah, he there's a picture of him with a chain and a bloody hand and a piece of meat behind him. And yeah, I'm, I'm that's horrified. a really scary picture. I'm yeah, horrified. he's a horrifying. He's a horrifying person. Absolutely, I think pretty obviously was sentenced to a lifetime in prison. Where he's still living. Um, he sure is. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, yeah, oh, and just as a fun fact, in case anybody had never heard this before, probably part of the reason why it was so easy for him to get away with any possible cross-contamination, because apparently human flesh tastes a lot like pork. Like, that's our closest meat we do have some taste. we have some similarities to the pigs, turns out. Yeah. We're we have porky qualities. <laughs> we do. We do. We do. <laughs> They're smart. You know, this makes babe just make all the more sense. You know, all the more sense. All the more Completely. sense. Spirit animal. Yeah. So as if that story isn't bad enough, I have an even weirder, more recent one for you. There is a man who has been nicknamed the brazilian sweeney todd and my favorite thing is every time i read anything about him it always starts with karate expert jorge beltreo necromante it's like i don't give a shit that he's a karate expert necromantes what it does sound like that necromancer yes uh jorge beltreo negromante okay yeah so him his wife and his mistress lured at least three women to their house, promising them work as a nanny. And after killing these women, they used their flesh, their remains, to make uh, empanadas ah. that they sold to their neighbors. Very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why these three idiots got caught is because they used one of the victims' fucking credit cards. <laughs> Dummies. Dumb. No so body, dumb. no crime, but you can't steal their identity. They confessed and they they even fully, like, proudly admitted that, like, yeah, this was going to be our new thing. We were going to kill three women every year. It was going to be like a ritualistic thing. Oh, yeah. They went the fuck in. Okay. Yeah, apparently they're, they're 
involved in some kind of religion where that there's somehow sacrificial yeah, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So anyway, real scary, mm-hmm. real upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, so those examples, I, I only mention them to prove the point that like it's not like it's improbable that he existed. Totally. It's possible totally. that he existed. Right. Right. And so he could be anywhere. He could pop up at any time. There could be a Sweeney Todd just waiting in the wings. And it made me think of, there's actually a lyric in the le- in the very end of Sweeney Todd where it says, Sweeney waits in the parlor hall. Sweeney leans on the office wall. No one can help. Nothing can hide you. Isn't that Sweeney there beside you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a murderer around us all the time. And that's the really clever thing about making him a more relatable character is it's like a psychopath can come off as being like, oh, poor you. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, you're murdering everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's a real twist on the I did it because I could, you know, like you were saying in the beginning of the compulsion, the unexplained not, yeah. mania, you know, it's just mania. Yeah. It's just pure evil. It's it's mental. It's unexplained. It's a molecule. This is like, no, this is this is nurture. This is something else. This is, yeah. you know, a, pro- a byproduct of he's an economic loser, essentially, who is victimized mm-hmm. by a system, um, yeah. you know, and takes that power back in a way that is you know, very, uh, you're on his side. And it feels almost, um, for anyone who's like lower, middle, lower class, like a little empowering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Take the power back. So the story will continue to be, I mean, the musical will be revived till the end of time without yes, questions. Absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised if there are many more movies, books, Radio plays. I mean, most recently we posted about it on our Instagram. Our wonderful friend of the pod, one of my lifelong besties, Brian Otano, is part of the Amazon TV show, mm-hmm. uh, The Horrors of Dolores Roach, yes. which if you haven't watched it, it is so good. And it really is like beat by beat, Sweeney Todd. And it's based on, there was actually a one woman show, uh, that is the story of Sweeney Todd, but told by this Dolores Roach character. Mm. And so it's just, it's so good. So you'll see, you'll certainly see more things like that as time goes on. And uh, yeah, Sweeney ain't going anywhere, kids. It's a perennial favorite. So mm-hmm. check out the original source material and we'll have all Absolutely. the show notes. Check out the Spotify soundtrack of one of the many <laughs> Sweeney's versions you haven't heard. Um, Personally, vocally, I am beyond impressed with Josh Groban. Right. Not the best acting performance, but, but oh technically, my yeah. God, yeah. stunning. Where stunning. does where does Cerberus rank for you, Michael Cerberus? Um, I would say of the ones I've seen like live, mm-hmm. he's probably top five. He's top five. Yeah. Yeah. How many are there in the in the in the ranking? Probably like <laughs> ten. <laughs> Hold on now. <laughs> this is good. This is very good data. So, okay. So if you're going to be on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, you got to call Katie about anything Sweeney related. I'm here. You're, I've got you. I mean, it's I literally, I I made myself laugh because I started singing 
at the top of the show in the shower the other day. And I realized halfway through like doing my hair and getting dressed, I was like, am I almost at act two? What is wrong with me? <laughs> I love it. And not and I'm not listening to it. I'm just singing it. Yeah. That's how well I know this fucking show. So, you know, we always do a to learn more on this mm-hmm. podcast, obviously, because this is really a legend and a piece of pop culture. It doesn't quite fit in in that way, with the exception of a couple of things. You can totally go to Fleet Street yeah. and check that out and mm-hmm. kind of stand in that corner of where this this person may have been. I'm sure they have Sweeney-related tours. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are universities. I believe uh, Guildhall Library in London actually has a phenomenal collection of Penny Dreadfuls. Oh, wow. You can see OG ones. Um, and Stanford University does as well. Hmm. So I couldn't, they were hard to search. So I couldn't tell if they had copies of String of Pearls specifically. But honestly, guys, get into Penny Dreadfuls. The stories are so interesting. It's such an important part of the uh, entertainment of the time. It's really a great example of Victorian entertainment for sure. Yeah. And, you know, another thing for research, you got to know your search terms. So you got to know those titles. So look for String of Pearls too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. So that's it. That's it for Sweeney. That was fantastic. <laughs> Bloody brilliant. Hey, thank At you. last, our pod is complete again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I want to give you a little, a little cue here. Um, Thanks. <laughs> that was fantastic. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be uh, providing more. Um, more stories and morbidiums for this spook tide. Welcome back. It's great to be in your ears again. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Get the latest on Instagram and TikTok at The Morbid Museum. Get in touch with us at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. Consider becoming a supporter of our podcast by joining us on Patreon. Become an official Morbuddy today. As always, we'd like to send a special thank you to all our Patreon listeners. Without you, this podcast really wouldn't be possible. In particular, we want to send extra big, humongous thanks to our Morbid for Life tier buddies, Dennis Barrett and Haley Lamp. Thank you so much, guys. We love you. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum Podcast. Bye. Bye.